Welcome to The Road to Scholarship, a podcast dedicated to scholars in the community who are pushing the culture forward by collecting the wisdom of the past and moving it into the future. So please, join PhD candidate Maurice Robinson, aka PhD Rich, as he dialogues with intellectuals on the road to scholarship. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the first episode, the first of many, of Road to Scholarship with PhD Rich. As some of you know and some will find out, this show is especially about focusing on scholars in the community who really are pushing culture forward by collecting the wisdom left for us from the past and moving it into the future in real functional ways. Um, today I got Jazz and Toy with me, two amazing scholars from the Department of Africology and African American Studies, both studying to get their PhD. I'm also a member of that department at Temple University, led by the great Malefe Kate Asante and Amma Mazama, among others. Um, so for those who haven't heard about Africology, um, I would say that the best definition for it would be um, the Afrocentric study of African phenomenon. And when you're talking about Afrocentricity, you're really talking about studying the world from the perspective of black folks, put simply. Period. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, man, I think I had two of the most amazing scholars in our department, man. Um, I've I've had multiple classes with these young ladies, and I've also had the pleasure of watching them to present their research. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> let's start off with you, Toy. Please introduce yourself and tell us, you know, your research interest and what made you get into Africology and African-American studies as, you know, your path. All right. Hi, everyone. First of all, thank you for allowing us to be on the show. First right. episode. Thank you. I feel special. Right? I'm not going to lie. It's the only way. Right. We kicking it off. Okay. What's up? So my name's Toy. Uh, full name is Alu Toyosi, Abigail Ibijola Abadarin. I am Nigerian. I was born here, but my parents were both born in Nigeria. Um, Toy is a nickname because I hate hearing my name butchered. Um but yeah, so I actually did undergrad at Stockton University um, in communications with a minor in Africana studies, which inspired me to just go and pursue Africana studies and Africology. I came across Temple's department. I applied. I got in. I started my master's program, and it's been history since then. Um, it's really just my passion. It's my heart. It's my soul. And I couldn't be happier to be a part of this department um, my research interests specifically are in deconstruct deconstructing feminist propaganda in 21st century Black female lead television shows. So I was able to merge both my backgrounds in communications and media studies with my love and my passion and my heart for Africana studies and Africology and really truly trying to help our people. So that's where my research interests lie. Um, I really honestly decided to go in that route because of my passion for watching television shows, um, but also noticing that there is this feminist agenda pushed in almost every single one of the television shows I was watching. Um, and of course, being an Africologist, I understand that feminism is not for African women, it's not for African men, it's not for African people. It doesn't work for us. It's not from our perspective. It's not our paradigm. Um, Africana womanism is 
a better alternative for that um, coined by Dr. Clenor Hudson-Weems. And I could talk about that probably a little bit later, but that's really what pushed me and um, inspired me to get into my interest. Awesome. 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 Jazz. What's up? Talk to us. What's up, y'all? Um, so my name is Jasmine Evans, originally from Gulfport, Mississippi, but we are here in Philly. Um, I went to Kent State University for my undergrad. I was a double major for a long time. So I was broadcast journalism. Um, and then whenever I started getting um, into like uh, student organizations, especially like leadership of those organizations, um, I became um, a Pan-African Studies major because I was Literally always there anyway. And so I fell in love um, with the history of like black students on the campus. And it was so cool, like knowing that um, at one point at Kent State, 95% of the black students walked off of campus because they were protesting like the administration's like racist policies and um, their like reactions to like world events at the time. And I was just like, wow, like I didn't know that this was here. What else don't I know? Right. <laughs> so um, I started to double major, but then I was like, wait, no, this is too much. Um, I started to kind of like fall away from journalism. I just didn't like the way that they were rocking like a lot of times. So um, I just became a Pan-African Studies major and I started going into psychology even then. Um, and that's kind of like my research study now. So right now I am looking at the linkage between ritualized terror and vicarious trauma, um, like in present day and how that manifests itself like through different meds or different mediums of like like uh, media and things of that nature. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a quick little synopsis. Yo, those are amazing, amazing topics. You know, I always am like, kind of like, you know, just I will reach out randomly just to ask you guys certain questions because like I see it as a recurring theme, like just mm -hmm. in the media I interact with. And it's amazing that both of you guys kind of have a similar background with broadcast journalism and communications and everything like that. So um, I'm going to start off with you, Toy. Uh, you said feminist propaganda and Africana womanism as being an alternative. Um, just for a second, would you mind like explaining the distinction between those two things? Yeah, definitely. Um, so first to explain what I'm talking about is I noticed that all of the movies and televisions I shows that I was watching usually had a female lead in it. And it wasn't just a female lead. It was someone that could be identified as feminist or would explicitly say they were feminist. Um, and that was not only the movies and films with a white female. Um, I saw it across all races. Um, so I, I had to take a second to think about what are we watching as black people? What do our television shows, um, if we even have television shows, what do they look like? Um, so I started to pick out shows with black female leads specifically, some like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, Grownish, uh, Being Mary Jane. I can name a whole bunch of them, but I started to look at those shows in First, break down what are these women saying? What is the agenda? What's the narrative that's being pushed in these television shows? Um, and I noticed that there was a lot of feminism inserted in these shows. And of course, like I said, I don't think feminism, I, I know feminism doesn't work for Black people. And just to, to uh, distinguish the difference, right? So feminism is a white um 
ideal, right? It's um, a white theory that was made to get basically equality between white men and white women. Black people, black women specifically, were not even in the equation when feminism was created. So, I mean, already, if something was initially not for me, why would I want to use it to help my needs, you know, um, just to say the least. And Africana womanism coined by Dr. Clonora Hudson-Weems in the late 80s specifically was an Afrocentric paradigm. And we know, thank you for breaking down the definitions in the beginning of the podcast, we know that we are now able with this tool of Africana womanism to actually deal with our issues um, in our community between Black females and Black men. We're able to actually deal with our own issues from our own perspectives. And uh, I wasn't offered, we are not offered that opportunity with feminism or any form of feminism. So, Yeah, I like, I really like Lenora Hudson-Weems a lot. Um, When I read Africana womanism the first time, What really stuck out to me was her breakdown of the term female versus woman. Yeah. And that kind of forced me to kind of really look at, you know, my relationship with women completely differently. You know, just this idea that anything can be a female, you know, a dog can be a female, a crab can be a female. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's no indication of your humanity versus when you're talking about a woman you know, you're not going to call, you know, your Doberman a woman. You know what I mean? Like, but it might be a female. You know what I mean? It might be a girl. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's one thing that really stuck out with me a lot, you know. And definitely thank you for that introduction. Now, Jazz. Wait, really quick. Okay, Before we go on to me. um, I love, like, the breakdown that Toyo gave, like, about feminism. um, And especially, like, something that a lot of, like, our people don't even know. That um, the feminist movement really started as a reaction to black men getting the right to vote before white women. Yep. And so, like, a lot of people don't, like, really understand that. And they're, like, and I see my heart, like, low-key breaks, like, when I see black women, like, yeah, I'm feminist. But it's, like, sweetie, do you know, like, the history behind this? Like, are you sure? No. That's real. And and the history is a continuum into the present day. Exactly. You know what I mean? Where it's, like, as we talk about in television, like, what are some of those things you see that um, indicate um, this feminist theory? Right. And shows like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and so forth and so on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the biggest distinction is that feminism is female-centered, right? Whereas Africana womanism focuses on the family. It's family-centered. So anything that is going to censor just women solely and separate us and create this dichotomization between men and women is already a telltale sign. So that's the number one thing to look for. And you can hear that in some of the words that they say in some of the scenes um, where the men are almost separated completely from the women and it's always this um angst and this this conflict really between men and women and that's really number one which you can look for at first and then break down even further from there that's amazing because it's a lot of like um shout out to philly (laughs) (laughs) we in the building but it's a lot of like um i don't know the word i want to use but Normally, when we're talking about women and we're talking about, you know, the household, mm-hmm. it kind of gets like a... It's like a hierarchy. You know what I mean? And yeah. it gets kind of like derogatory, like, mm-hmm. oh, focus on the household. But I don't think that's what you're really saying in this instance, just basically talking about the balance between, 
you know, man, woman, and child, you yeah. know what I mean? Or yeah. man, woman, and the endeavors that they, or pursuing life together type right. situation. Mm-hmm. And I think even um, Dr. Clonora Hudson-Weems, like she even breaks down um, in like her books, like there is supposed to be a complementary relationship mm-hmm. between man and woman. It's not like one is over the other or like some like hope tub type shit. Like, you know, like all about the black man and shit like that. It's like, no, like we are going to work together yeah. to solve these problems, to advance like our community forward. So Which is African culture, right? Literally. It's complementarity. That's what we do. That's our essence. That's like straight traditional African worldview right there. Like that's fundamental. And that's real. And I think a lot of people misinterpret the African worldview as like something that's like, something that's like foreign, you know what I mean? Where it's really something which gets into, you know, what I like to talk about. My whole theory is rich in spirit, you know, that Mm -hmm. spirit is something that we inherit, you know, generation to generation to generation to generation. So this African worldview, where you're talking about like um, feminism and African womanism being an alternative, it's not really an alternative. It's really, you know, what we need to be aligned with Mm -hmm. to fully understand how we can disrupt some of the disruption that's happened in our household exactly. over the past 500 to 5,000 years. Definitely. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, compl- it's supposed to be a compliment versus competition, which it really turns into, like, I make more money than him. He makes more mm-hmm. money than her. Like, oh, I want to do this, or I can't do that, and right. things like that. But it's not that simple, though. It's not an easy thing to get out of this Western way of looking at the household. Um, I do have another question for you. Is there room for Africana womanism for people who are not, um, who haven't inherited their spirit directly from Africa? So people outside of the African community, because when I think of feminism, I don't really think it works for a woman, period. Well, women are not, it's not homogenous. Women are not one thing. Women are different, different cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has their different histories. We can't all assume European histories. That wasn't the same for African women, right? That wasn't the same for Indian women um, or Asian women. So mm-hmm. I think everyone should be doing something from their own perspective. And that's what it's all about. Not having one that's superior over another. Yeah, that's quality. I could yeah. definitely respect that. I could definitely respect that. And also, like, just because, like, different, like, cultures have different perspectives, like Toya was saying, like, it doesn't mean that, like, each or, like, either one is, like, lesser than the other right. or, like, it's supposed to be segregated. I think everyone, like, can respect each other's, like, perspective, but also being able to understand, like, you know, we kind of do it different over here. Y'all might do it different over there. Like, it's still similarities and we can, like, respect those differences, but it doesn't make one, like, greater than the other. I'm with you, I, and I and the reason why I'm I'm real big on the African worldview because it's complementary. You know what I mean, and I feel like cultures can complement one another. Yeah, if they want to. <laughs> but Keywords. If they, if want, they to. want to, but yeah. the moment you start looking at your own culture as being superior to right. another person's mm-hmm. or if you look at like oh your life will be, be be better if you adopt the values of my culture missionaries you know yeah. what i mean like i'm not here to convince you to rock with what i rock with but what i rock with, no, what I rock with 
I'm trying to convince my children, and mm, <laughs> you know what I mean. That's right. You know, I'm trying to convince my parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> uh, you know, we it's it's uh, the big thing about Afrocentricity, and the big thing about the Department of Afrocology is it's about kind of harmonizing the disruption that has happened over the past. You know, in our households and between men and women, you know, like with our youth and mm-hmm. so forth and so on. Healing, healing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the big thing. Yes, it's about healing and victory. Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. and those are the two things that I think go hand in hand. You know, like absolutely self care and triumph is two things that I feel like are inseparable uh values of what we study and how we approach what we study, you know, the messages we want to leave. So Jazz, what's popping, man? <laughs> What's going on? What's them terms we was talking about? Vicarious trauma? Yeah. So, um, like I was saying before, my research really um, centers ritualized terror and its linkages to vicarious trauma. So, um, ritualized terror basically um, is defined as any act of um, abuse. So, that could be um, any, like, um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse um, that is performed in front of the Black community um, to basically install fear or thoughts of, like, inferiority, fear of white people, things of that nature. And we could see um, that this was, like, really done to our ancestors, like, in forms of, like, uh, communal beatings, lynchings, things of that nature. Like, um, there were even, um, just, like, for an example, there were even times where, um, like, the overseers would, in, um, would, like, gather, like, the entire enslaved community and then just, like, commit, like, these deplorable acts, like, to the strongest among them to basically, like, let them know, like, you ain't shit, like, you not getting out of this, like, I have all the power over you. And so um, I started to look at that, and I was like, well, how is that manifested in, like, modern day? Like, are we still, like, as Black people, like, subjected to this in any type of way? So um, Queen and Slim came out, and I was watching it with another classmate of ours, and it was the opening scene where they were um, getting pulled over, by the police. And um, even though I wasn't like directly going through like what the actor or like what the character was going through on screen, I noticed that I was having like trauma triggered. Like I was like being triggered like in that moment. And um, at the time I was working as a case manager. So I was um, privy like to these, to a term called vicarious trauma, which is basically like um, if you are subjected to certain images, like over and over, like in just in repetition, you can start to develop um, trauma or get triggered. Like you were the one who actually went through that trauma. So I'm sitting in the movie theater, they get pulled over and all all of a sudden, like my breathing starts to hollow like a little bit, like my heartbeat was like sped up, like my hands got clammy and it was all, it really felt like I was the one getting pulled over. Like in that moment, like all of like the fear and dread as a black woman that I feel whenever I get pulled over by police, I was feeling it in that moment. And so the psychologist in me kind of like, like turned on and was like, wait, no, what is this? What's going on? And then that's when I was able to kind of like put that linked together like wait this is vicarious trauma like I'm literally being traumatized in this moment and so I'm like 
what this isn't exclusive to just me this isn't exclusive to just like um human services like workers or like social workers so what happens when other black people keep consuming these same images and i'm talking about when we look at movies that depict um like enslavement and the horrors that went on there i'm talking about when we see videos of unarmed black people like getting brutalized by police for absolutely no reason like those feelings that we get is that trauma being triggered in us? And if so, how can we combat this? Because this living in a constant state of trauma in this way and just keep being like reminded of this trauma, it has to do something to your psyche. Wow, that's amazing. And my first when you use the word when you when you first use the term dread, it like instantly it instantly sparked like a lot of ideas in my head because my first time being introduced to that term was Martin Heidegger, mm-hmm. um, the guy under Hitler and his, and he's an existentialist thinker and he would talk about fear versus dread. But I thought that you were kind of like pushing that term to the next level because if my rem- my memory's correctly, he associated fear with, you know, the things that we know, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and we fear those things and dread as like the things that we don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what's at the bottom of the ocean? Like, I'm not about to go find out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. But what what you were saying was, we know those things all too well. Yeah. And we know those things to a point where I don't have to be there, but I can start feeling them through my five senses. Exactly. And it's... Like, scary. Very scary. It's very scary because it's like a lot of people don't have this knowledge, but definitely like people who are like in like the field of psychology, like these professionals, they definitely know. So say if like this information is in like the right person's hands, right? Like the right white supremacist, like the right person who like really just does not give a fuck about black people and like are really looking for ways to like enhance white supremacy. Like they know exactly what to do and when you look at the field of western psychology i really call it mainstream psychology um whenever you look at that they look at the mind or like human behavior as a way to either like control or try to predict somebody's behavior right but whenever we look at it from an africologist point of view when we go back to commit like the study of the soul like what it really means to be human that's what like um like the ancient africans really intended psychology to be quick little history history lesson like the earliest studies of psychology came from commit it didn't come from like these white people that they like try to pass like oh this is like the father of psychology and all that no like they learn from somewhere else and then those people learn from somewhere else and I'm just gonna go ahead and be out there and say it was most likely commit at the end of the day (laughs) so like we have to really understand like who we are dealing with at the end of the day you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. we have to understand that like the these these videos and all of these things are being like pushed in our faces for a reason. For a reason. Literally yeah. for a reason. Like there's a reason why a lot of like blockbuster films that are centered towards black people, it always has to be like about enslavement, being like 12 years a slave, the Django. butler, the help, the Django. What um the new movie that just came out with Janelle Monet, Antebellum, mm-hmm. where like she was literally like stolen and like put on a plantation amusement park. What? Like <laughs> why is it that we always have to be content Continually, like reminded of this trauma, 
That's real. That's real. That's a real question. It, it is. And I think it serves a purpose, especially like, especially in this country. You know what yeah. I mean? Because, you know, the and just getting back to when I first heard that term dread, what was amazing about fear and dread is that they kind of control your potential mm-hmm. and your capacity of, you know, what do I think I can do? Exactly. You know what I mean? Because the same way I'm looking at that video of Eric Gardner or I'm looking at that video of this person or I'm watching this movie of this guy who had to overcome so much oppression, direct individual oppression to get to a point where he was. And I'm drawing correlations between that, which was staged in 1788 and, you know, my current situation in 2020 Mm -hmm. is like, it becomes like, wow, this is my reality where that isn't necessarily quantifiable or true. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You could be looking at life a completely different way and going a completely different route with the path of least resistance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at those things, it kind of puts it in your mind that I have to go through this to be successful. Exactly. Or I have to make it through this thing to survive. And it brings that idea of fear into your everyday life and reality. And that isn't necessarily something that has to be there. Exactly. And that's why I call it a ritual, like ritualized terror, terrorism in a sense, because the definition of a ritual is you basically doing something like, again, in repetition, the same exact way to install different schools of thought. Right. So if we are repeatedly like being going to like push in the media, like push this narrative that, you know, if you get like as a black person, if you get stopped by the police, like most likely like you have to fear for your life in that sense, because you never know like what's going to happen. So say like say like my nephew, my nieces and nephews, right, like they are between the ages of 12 and seven, I believe. Correct me if I'm y'all gonna correct me if I'm wrong, but, but like they've never they've never had the experience of being pulled over by police. They've never um, like really encountered like racism like within their everyday lives. However, they're scared to death of police officers. Like they're scared to death of like these certain things because of what they see, whether it's on social media or whatever they see like in like just like the news cycle, the regular media, or what have you. And it's like you should as a child you should should not have to fear that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like as a child, you should be concerned about child things, right? Son, that is <laughs> so deep. That's so deep. And I don't mean to transition all of a sudden. No, but you're fine. when you say that, right, and we talking about these messages that the media are pushing in, in front of not just us, but children who not who might not necessarily have the same experience that experiences that I've had growing up. You know what I mean? I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like black people be putting in work. You know what I mean? Like, I be feeling like black people put in work to make the world a better place for the next generation of black people. And I think that gets underestimated a lot when we start talking about race relations and things like that. The world is a better place today because of the work that people before us put in and because of the work that we're putting in today. You know what I mean? It's a good chance that that child might not ever have one of those encounters with a police officer but now that you've put that thing in that child's mind, mm-hmm. now they're so nervous. When you're nervous, you you tend to act 
outside of how you would normally. If you feel yeah. like you're in danger, and when you see somebody in danger, you back somebody up against a wall, you you don't know how they'll react or you don't know what action will come up next. And so the impact can be profound. But I'm using the same idea and I'm taking it back to toy. Like with this idea of the scandal, how to get away with murder. You know what I'm saying? The propaganda. The yeah, propaganda. All I'm hearing. Like when you're talking, I'm like, I knew our research was like similar in some ways. Mm-hmm. But I, when you're talking, I'm like, this is propaganda. That is the definition of Honestly, propaganda. That's exactly what it is. Being able to control the reactions of your audience. It is such an insidious science that only few understand yeah. propaganda. I'm up. Uh, I told you guys I was communications major, but I um, specialize in public relations. Mm-hmm. So we learned all about propaganda and how that works and how powerful it can be, especially because no one else knows how it works. And that's why propaganda is so successful because if people don't know how it works, then of course it's going to work on other people, right? Yes. So exactly. that's the, that's the point. And um, as you're talking, all I keep thinking about is that's the propaganda they push. They want these reactions from us, whether they be fear, yeah. whether they be for us to um, separate from our black men, right? As black women, this is the reactions they want from us. And that's being filtered into our television shows, our movies, our music. Uh, we have to be aware of this. We have to be critical. Facts, because the propaganda is working in various ways. Absolutely. To create realities that might not even be a possibility for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, may, it it actually turns impossible situations to likely occurrences in somebody's life. Mm-hmm. So yep. now this, this young lady or this young man who might not ever have to deal with the problems that you know, we see in young relationships in all races, but I'm I'm specifically talking about in the black community. Yeah. Like we might not, you might not, if if this young lady, if your seven-year-old niece or nephew meets toy seven-year-old niece or nephew 15 years from now, and they have never seen like that competition between man and woman, and they only have been fed images, visuals, aesthetics of complementary roles between men and women family Family, you know what I mean the power of family the power of creation of procreation you know what I mean like absolutely then then the the potential for them to do something toxic to the other person diminishes a great deal you know what I mean these things are pushing toxic behavior in our community absolutely and I think another thing that our community also like underestimates is like the way that this society like takes things or like certain parts of our culture and then twist it to like make it mean something like completely and totally different um like real-time example right the term uncle tom I hate the term uncle tom because if you actually go back and read the book uncle tom's cabin uncle tom was actually the hero hero of that story. He was the one who was like the champion of the community. He was the one who was taking beatings. So other like enslaved people like didn't get it. But now it's been taken like, oh, Uncle Tom, you're a sellout. You're this, you're that. And I'm like, but do you know like your own terminology? Like, do you understand like the real, like original meanings like of these words, of these terms of like, are, do you understand the history basically at the end of the day? So you just have to like stay like hyper vigilant. That's really what it is. Yes, you have to stay hyper vigilant and you have to stay studious on your own history. Yeah, absolutely. Because like I said, our ancestors put in work, like the past generations put in work. But if we learn about 
their character, mm-hmm. their demeanor, their agency from people outside of our community. Then now Uncle Tom goes from hero to villain. Exactly. Mm, But, you know, I do think that it's also like a two edged sword when it comes to like taking things from our ancestors. Right. Or um, so a big catalyst, like for my work, was reading the post-traumatic slave syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. She basically broke down and said um, the soul like the legacy of enslavement has been passed down through generations and basically it's like how we parent like our children and how like our parents uh, parented us basically. So when we're talking about like getting beat like whoopings or things of like that nature that they had to do like back in the day to survive that we don't necessarily have to do now. And that like if, I don't think I'm like explaining it correctly, but like, um, like the things that they had to do in order for survival, like back in the day. Right. But those same like behaviors and attitudes and values are still being passed down, but without the same context. Context is key. key. So like Mm -hmm. example, she gave, um, she gave this example of an enslaved woman, the, um, slave master. I hate the term slave master, but, um, like the owner, what have you, or the overseer like comes over and ask her about her daughter. The CEO of the plantation. The CEO of the plantation, <laughs> yes. Um, like he'll come over and ask her or like show interest in her daughter in an effort to protect her daughter from this man or from this monster, basically. She's like, oh, you know, she don't know shit. She good for nothing. She worthless, like basically trying to turn his eyes to somebody else and not her daughter, right? So she's doing that as a way of protecting. But if that's not community, that context isn't communicated to the daughter. She's like, well, damn, like, why are you talking shit about me? But you, my mommy, you love me. So obviously like you're doing that because like you care or like whatever that the meaning behind it is misconstrued, but then she'll go back and do the same thing to her kids. Her kids will go back and do the same thing to their kids. And then you have this like cycle of like some, so if everybody's just talking down on their kids and stuff like that, what does that do like for the self-esteem of that child? What does it do like for anybody's like psyche in that moment? So it's the same thing of like they're doing the same things that they were doing like in these times to protect themselves. Yes. But we're not living in those same exact times now. Like, yes, we still have to protect ourselves, but I think in different ways. So that's why I think it's kind of like a double edged sword sometimes like going and taking like everything like from the past or like everything that they've done. And it's like, yes, like pass down the knowledge. But then there are some things that I think that we as black people have to really like sit down and analyze. Like, okay, why was this done? Does this work for present day? Yes or no. If it doesn't work, okay, we can leave it. But if it does work, okay. That's real. That's very, 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 very real. And I think we do have to really go back and diagnose a lot of different things that were done in that that era, in that time, and how it has kind of like came about over the years, you know? Mm -hmm. Even this idea of... um, and this one's touchy, you know what I mean? I think both of you guys can probably help me sort this out, you know. But like, um, we like I don't know if it's real or not, but uh what's the what's the uh what's the letter? The Willie Lynch. The Willie Lynch letter, right? Yeah. Where he talks about like um making the woman like protect the man, you know what I mean, in a sense of like breaking the man, you know what I mean, and then like I guess, in a sense, empowering the woman, 
in a sense. To like emasculate the man in a sense. I think I get what you're saying. And like we, and then we saw like even more like, I'm thinking of like Harriet Jacobs Mm -hmm. book, you know what I mean? Where she really took a strong stance, a strong role and things like that. And I think a lot of times we think that that's where the strong black woman comes from. I mean, absolutely. Because if you think about it, like the black woman, like even if we like, even if we go back to enslavement, like the black woman had to hold it down. Like at the end of the day, like she had to hold down the household. She had to hold down like the CEO's household. Like, so I definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the chief executive the officer chief, of, yes, the plantation. of the plantation. She had to hold down his household. Like, and she had to take care of herself. She had to take care of the kids. So I definitely, I definitely get that. Yeah. But my argument has always been like, we come from a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. But, but we, right? Okay. Sorry. I just have to say this. I talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Because I love how Dr. Nadav, she's in her apartment. She's amazing. Um, I love her. She's yeah, amazing. she's she's adorable. Um, but she always makes it clear when we talk about a matriarchal society in an African context, we're not talking about just the woman overpowering the man, right? Yeah. We're talking about a complementary thing. And I just want to make that clear, right? Because not a lot of people know that they think matriarchy, patriarchy, right? Matriarchy is the opposite of patriarchy. But when we talk about it in in African terms, it's different. Yeah. And I think that even goes back to Giop's um, cradle. Yep. That's where it's from. That's what what she's talking about in her book. Exactly. We got to talk, we got to get into Giop's cradle theory. You know what I mean? We can't just drop that joke. You <laughs> right, know like, what I'm saying? You know, just drop it. We can't just drop that joke. I mean, but actually, we kind of could because then people be like, oh, well, let me go back and look. See, we're encouraging the people to read. Yes. Go read. Go do your yes, research. Yes. If I say Uncle Tom, don't just think I'm talking about like some little snitch or something. Read exactly. the book. Exactly. Read the book. And I think that that's really important. Like people are going to like look at this podcast and watch this podcast and be like, oh, yeah, like I heard them talk about this, 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 and the third. But I think it's also really important for people to go back and do their own research yeah. and think well. critically for yourself, right? Exactly. We can say anything. For so yeah, sure. so this is practice. Go look it up. Definitely. And, <laughs> and what I'm going to do for everybody is I'm going to actually create a bibliography Ooh. for the podcast. Yeah, I mean? that'll be dope. That so would we'll be really dope. Some dope. We'll mentioned. have some reams, some I like books that. mentioned. You I like I mean? that. So you guys can really dig in. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I will give y'all the, the online books, but you know. You know, them folks watching. Hey, yeah. <laughs> They're going to lock me up for spreading that knowledge. You know what I'm saying? But, I'll, you know, I'm going to hook y'all up. I'm going to get y'all books mentioned. But definitely go check out that double cradle theory. Yeah. Because that, 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 that has a lot of clarity to some things. And it also gives space for inquiry as well. Yeah. You and I think it I mean? puts a lot of things in perspective, too. Yeah. And I think that was a shifting moment in scholarship. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. I think that's a major shift. Catalyst for us. Uh, exactly. Especially in this department. Because sure. I do believe, like, Geop was the one who placed, like, the beginning of humanity in Africa at the end of the day. And I know, like, he caught a lot of flack for that. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, civilization did not start in Africa, but it's like, yes, it did, sis. Yes. It definitely did. And you cannot, like, as much as you want to deny it, you can't deny it. Like, you can call it Northern Africa. You can call it mm. the Middle East. You can call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, it's still Africa. It's still Komet. We know what it is. Actually, so. even those people saying we come from the center. 
Yeah. <laughs> Period. But yeah, and that and he talks about that in, in Great Death. I think it's the book called Barbarianism and Civilization. Yes. That's another mm-hmm. good one. Another yeah, gotta add that to the bibliography. We're gonna add, add that, that to the bibliography. Yes. You know, I'm gonna go listen back and I'm gonna I'm gonna get the bibliography tight for this joke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Chicago manual style. Yes. You know what I mean? But for sure. And I think those are definitely some key points, you know. Um, just thinking about all of the things that we talked about. My question for both of you guys is, what do we do about media? Mm. Mm. Is media something that we should just eliminate from our lives? Well, what specifically are you talking about, right? When we say media, we know that can take forms in many different ways, right? So what are you talking about specifically? Um, Specifically, I'm talking about video production. Because you said something at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, and... It gets into music too. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. It really gets into music, but I think music requires less of a production than film and TV shows do. You know what I mean? Because I disagree. The only reason I say that is because I can go on YouTube, get a beat. You know what I mean? You mean there's more liberty. Like, you have more freedom as the artist. Is that what you're saying? Whereas, like, a saying television easier, show, you have like, the executive producer, you have the... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm saying, like, I mean, this is going... I don't want to go too crazy with this metaphor, but it's mm-hmm. like golf versus basketball. Like, I could get a crate, I could get a ball, and I could play basketball. I could hook the crate up to a tree, and I could play basketball. Mm-hmm. If I want to play golf, I need 10 acres, I need 4,000 yards... I need somebody to, you know, dig the holes in. I need somebody to aerate the greens. When you're talking about like a TV show, you know what I mean? It requires a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? Wait, music requires a lot of work too. I'm about to say, yeah. Music requires a lot of work, but I've seen people be able to create music by themselves. Oh, I see what you're saying. I've seen people. I, like even on a great, on a big level, like a J. Cole or Kanye West, I've seen mm -hmm. them produce write, yeah. perform, you know what I'm saying? I've seen them be able to do all of those things by themselves. I'm not saying that it doesn't, it requires any less talent, you know what I mean? Or any mm-hmm. less effort. I'm just saying like, it's something that you can get in there and you can do. And therefore I have more control over it. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. Like more freedom, more liberty as a, as you're the artist, right? Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. then I see it from that point of view. I guess I was just looking at it from like an intention point of view because it's like if I'm putting out like a song out there right or if I'm putting out like this body of work like I'm gonna like go back and think like what is the intention behind it like what message am I trying to get out like I guess like from that point of view I'm like no I feel like it's still like a lot of work that you got to put in like that way but I think like from a technical standpoint then yeah I definitely you can soldier boy you. you can create <laughs> the song put it on a YouTube it go viral and now you're a recording artist yeah. I've never seen that in film. Well, technically, Issa Rae, she had a YouTube series, Awkward Black Girl, before she um, got onto HBO. But then she gets on HBO, you know what I mean? And <laughs> it's a little different, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the- I mean, but of course, the budget. Like, so of course, it's going to be different. And like, even some of the people that you name, like, they still have teams behind them at the end of the day, too. So it's really not like they're like managing like themselves, like on their own anymore, like at that point. Yeah. So I think like when people start off, like, really all they got 
is them at the end of the day, like to like really help them. But then like whenever you get to that certain level, then like the team start coming in, like the budgets start coming in and stuff like that. Honestly, with television, like even in my research, I used to think it was just like, okay, the creator of the show, they're responsible for everything. But no, you have a team of writers, you have the executive producer, you have producers, right? You have so many different hands that dip in your pot. It's not even yours at that point, right? You have the network. You have the costume. Yes. Yeah. You have the producers. The, the director like it's 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 so, so many, many perspectives them, them credits yeah. it, the credit on the end of an album and the credit at the end of a movie or show be different oh, sure. credits that's true for sure them, yeah. them, them lists be long son like <laughs> them for lists sure. be crazy mm-hmm. but on both ends like when we're talking about I'm gonna just say mainstream productions is that something that we should just be like nah like Cause, Cause, you said earlier, like, if there are any black shows, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I meant that because at the end of the day, just because there was a black face behind the creation of the show doesn't mean it was a black show, mm-hmm. you know. Um, just because there mm-hmm. was a black star in the show doesn't mean it was a black show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, what can we do? Right, there are so many things, and I feel like it would take forever to even answer that question. And that's what my research is even doing, right? It's it's answering it, but I don't think there's just one answer, right? I should say that. I should make that clear. I feel like there's different, many different ways to combat it. Um, One of which being exposing, right? Which is what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to destruct what you've inserted in your show and I'm going to put this here. So we have that as a tool and we can use that and think critically about whatever else we consume. Um, There's ways where you can just completely stay away from television shows and film all together, right? And not even consume it at all. Um, Then you see people who are um, independent and creative enough to create their own or at least attempt to create their own and make sure that even everybody on their team is someone that's Afrocentric or someone really solely focused on making sure that we as Black people are centered in whatever that we're producing. Um, So there's many ways to fight and there's not one answer, I should say that. Yeah, sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, I know like in my research, the question that came up is like, okay, so you've been able to like define this problem. What's the solution? And like Toyo said, like it's not one answer at all. Like, so for, if I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I think that the storytellers, like the storytellers who are telling like our stories, like our black stories, they have an obligation at the end of the day, to make sure that they are either like advancing us into victorious consciousness. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna reword that. So my grandfather would always say, if you can't help someone, at least make sure that you don't hurt them at the end of the day. So even like in these spaces, like even if like you can't help black people, like whether like you're at the writer's table, like you're the only black person like in this room or what have you, even if for like some reason, like you can't help, at least make sure that what you're putting out is not hurting the community in these ways. Like, or even like having our own production companies at the end of the day, like I know um, of one Black Sands Entertainment, like they went and was like, I do not like the representation of ancient Africa within like the mainstream media and like production companies. So what did they do? They created their own production company and started putting out comic books, um, like actual cartoon shows and are actually like going back into the community. And it's like, hey, does anybody have any ideas? Do you want a production deal? Hey, if like we like your idea, whatever, come on over here. So I think that we need like more opportunities and things like that. 
I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with both of y'all. Wait, I got a question for you. Ooh. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. So, what about this responsibility? Right. I talked to this about with my class. Like, do we, as African creators and storytellers, is there a responsibility? I'm gonna just throw that right. Okay. And this is what I was. I was just about to get into. I knew. This. I saw your face. <laughs> I, was like, I was just about to get into this. You know, because my thing is, um. I won't necessarily put it on the creators because people create from the position they're coming from, you yeah. know? And I'll never tell somebody that, like, you have to create from an Afrocentric perspective. You know what I'm saying? Because that might not be... You might not know nothing about it. <laughs> I'm not... That mean, that mean you can't create. But what I will say is, it is the role of uh, for us. It's our responsibility, the Afrocentric scholar... The African scholar, any scholar that is interested in the advancement of black people is to create the terminology that other people who are aware of what's going on with these different um, agendas of propaganda going on in media and in other ways to provide the language for people to be critical of what's going on. You know, so when I think about, you know, research like jazz research, I would say, I think a simple thing that I would like to see is before you show me that on channel seven, channel five, channel four, channel six, channel eight, news or whatever, before you show me this black man being shot, give me that warning in the beginning. Yeah. Like, hey, what you are about to see is ritualized terror that can cause vicarious trauma for the for some members in the audience. Mm-hmm. And then play the video. I'm not saying don't play the video because I also think the videos are playing a big role in the push for consciousness Absolutely. for a lot of people. Absolutely. But I also think it's doing what Jazz is saying to the letter. So give me that. You know what I mean? And when I'm thinking about your research, I'm thinking about how critical people are of other things that get um, undermined or... Um, in the mass media or other cultures that are not being appreciated or being valued in different TV shows and the backlash they get and the very concentrated rhetoric that is provided when someone offends um, the feminists. You know, if you go against like you hate women. Yeah. (laughs) You hate women. You Mm -hmm. hate all. And they have the direct language to respond to these things. What I love about you guys' research and what really inspired me to invite you guys, really, I really wanted to talk to you guys first is because I think you guys embody what the role of a scholar in this department specifically is supposed to be, which is... Oh, so sweet. Hey, no, for real. Like, <laughs> Y'all be hyping us up. For real. Like, <laughs> you guys are creating language that defends Black people and at the same time, it empowers black people to achieve that victorious consciousness mm-hmm. if they can interact with the terms and not just listen to the terms for themselves, but actually dig into the research behind the terms. Yeah. Because those are the things that we stand on. Like, mm-hmm. we don't stand on just knowledge alone. We stand on wisdom that 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 fuels the knowledge that yeah. we are providing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, that's what I would say, like... Because like I said, we we inherit this thing, you know, but we inherit the good. And the bad. And the bad. Yeah. Like Jazz was saying earlier, yeah. everything, everything in 
everything about black people and African people ain't just, oh, great, oh, greatness, pharaohs and Nefertiti and all of this. I say, I love y'all, but we couldn't all be kings and queens like somebody had to. I'm I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm just, I'm just. Salt Bay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I love y'all, but put on the real though. I'm like, just saying, somebody had to carry them bricks, but um, hey, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm not but at the there. end of the day, that did not make them like in the community wise. That didn't make them like any less standing mm-hmm. in the community or anything like that. Straight up, I would love to be a part of a person. I would love to be the great and the great 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 grandchild of somebody who had a role in building the pyramids right like the smallest role like because like even if you think about the pyramids right like the knowledge that had to go like behind it like the mathematics the creativity the physics like all of that like yes pass that down straight up straight up so like you know just just but we we adopt all of that you know i always say that that we are we are i just to get into the media thing like with my research now i'm i've been i've been playing with this idea that we are all like starring and directing and producing our own films mm-hmm. and these films are sequels and spin-offs to our parents and grandparents and their parents before theirs you know what i mean like this yeah. is a continuum uh geopo geopo and asante will call this the royal car you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like this thing is something we we are using a spirit that's been passed down to us for thousands and thousands of years. And with that being said, it does come with a responsibility. Absolutely. And the more we become aligned with that inheritance that we that we carry today and that we are we also have the responsibility to pass on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. once we become aligned with that mission, with that responsibility, we then have the power to be accountable for our own lives and the outcomes of those lives. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's why traditional like African culture is so important. Like even today, cause like people be like, Oh, you guys romanticize Africa. Like you were thinking about something that like happened so long ago, but it's like, do y'all even understand that a lot of things that we do as black people in this country is literally like a straight directive from traditional African culture at the end of the day. So like we're yeah. connected, baby. We are connected. Interconnectedness. Yes, throughout the entire diaspora. Like mm-hmm. and that's the and also I feel like that's the main thing, like especially like whenever you think about um like spirituality, like within an African like point of view, right? Like everything is connected from like us to nature to our ancestors to the spirits. Some of y'all need to go ahead and set up the ancestral altars. Like literally everything is connected. And I think once African people like really like understand that concept, then it's gonna be like a like a communal like shift mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah, and I think it changes your entire worldview of everything around everything. you. Like yeah. I've really started to look at everything as a continuum. Yeah, like, yeah. Even like the food I eat and the plants and sure. everything fosters another thing. Like even to inanimate objects, you know, somebody will see something that someone else built, mm-hmm. and then they will build something bigger, faster whatever but it's based on that you yeah. know what i mean yeah. like that it's the child of that you know what i mean like pop smoke is the child of 50 cent oh. <laughs> rest in peace rest in peace, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Pop smoke. you know what i'm saying but 
We gonna end this with a pop smoke reference. Do it, do it. <laughs> Straight up, man. <laughs> I, was lit. To... <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> but no, nah, man. Definitely. I uh, once again, I just want to thank my good friends Toy and Jazz for joining me for this conversation. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Yeah. Like, straight up. No, this is our honor. You, this is my honor. I promise you. No, like, like this is honestly like our honor. Like you chose us for the first right. episode. For the first one. For the first one. For the first one. And these up. conversations that you're having, that's is much needed. Much I mean. needed. I really can't wait for people to see and hear. Yeah these conversations because I think it'll really positively impact a lot of creators and just a lot of people who might not necessarily be creatives in that way. Exactly. But, you know, they receive, you know what I mean? They, they, um, consume. Yeah. And creatives and consumers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like even people in our community that doesn't have like access to like the knowledge that we have, because I didn't learn about any of this shit until I got to college. But I know a lot of people from my hometown that didn't even get the opportunity to go to college. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like this platform that you have built and that you are building is going to reach a lot of people who aren't able to like sit here and have these conversations. Mm -hmm. So I definitely salute you for that. I appreciate that. It does. Hold on, wait. <laughs> yes. I love it. Oh, I support it. I'm here for uh, it. But no, once again, I just want to thank my 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 first guest on Road to Scholarship, <laughs> Toy and Jazz, for sharing eloquently the research interests they have and their application for it in the future and how it can definitely help uh, instill that victorious consciousness into the community and culture. And again, definitely follow us on the Rich Podcast Network. Um, I'm going to link everybody uh, social media information. Look out for that bibliography. The bibliography, I think, is going to be really important because a lot of times, even if you go to research these, these topics we're talking about, you get so much... BS yeah that's been written down oh, man, for and sure. published mm-hmm. and it's a it's, it's it's real the same things we talking about in movies and things like that happen in academia mm-hmm. as well absolutely and that's something that you know we definitely going to we going we going to have to do a part 2 y'all I'm down. Yeah, like, we're down. (laughs) Like, definitely. Uh, But I will say, like, as far as this bibliography, though, like, for y'all, the cheat code is going to Black-owned bookstores. Because a lot of these books are there and, like, for affordable prices, too. So definitely take advantage. Yes, definitely support your local Black-owned bookstore. Keep them in business. You know what I'm saying? Keep them in business. Keep them thriving. Don't just have them surviving. Make sure they thriving. You know what Mm I mean? And... You know, Rich Podcast Network, Road to Scholarship, the great jazz, the great toy. Hey, man, we're going to holler at y'all. Much love, honor, (laughs) respect, and love. You feel me? Peace. Period. Bye. (laughs) What a tea.